Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. <laughs> Good morning, Joe. So we're recording today's episode on Thursday the 13th of August and as promised last week um, we're going to discuss the June GDP figures which were released yesterday and it's going to be a week of numbers as we look at some of the other stats that have been released this week, things like retail sales, CJRS, the furlough scheme figures, employment figures, hospitality survey, business confidence um, and because it's the last recording for a couple of weeks, I think Nick and I have been given a bit of time off for good behaviour, um, we thought we might do a little bit more of a long view on numbers and what signals they might be giving us for the, for the coming months. So um, let's start with the, the GDP numbers, just that, that headlines. I think probably all our listeners are familiar with what, um, with what they said. There are three headline numbers that we should um, mention. So the first is the, the Q2 GDP decline. And that's confirmed as minus 20.4% from Q1 2020, which is just astonishing, isn't it? I mean, we couldn't have imagined last year that we would be talking anything like this. Joe, it's literally off the charts. (laughs) (laughs) We had to rescale the charts, I think, to fit it on. They have, yeah. yeah. Um, And that's... um, you know, because we've got this, that's the second quarter of declining um, GDP. So we are officially in um, a recession, which I think we all knew, but that's now confirmed. The second figure is the June GDP figure itself. And that was released at 8.7% increase. And that's better than I think some economists have been expecting. It was in line with what the Bank of England said last week. So that's, that's good news that the ONS and, and the Bank of England do talk to each other, it would seem. Um, and that, that seems like quite um, positive news, I think. But the final figure that we need to look at, and that's a, this kind of sting in the tail, if you like, is that GDP is still 17.2% lower than it was in February 2020. And that is still shocking and enormous. And although, you know, we are expecting to see rises in July and in August to see more parts of the economy open, that's still a hugely long way to even get back to where we were um, pre, pre-COVID. pre So I think there is that debate about scarring and that kind of, you know, how much we will ever recover. So Nick, what's your take on, on these numbers? Well, I mean, let's start with where you've just finished, which is the GDP numbers. And I've taken the ONS data on a sect- sectorial basis and looked at some of the major sectors, and you get some very interesting um, uh, read across um, because there are, I suppose, the, the three most obviously badly affected sectors are construction, health, and education, mm. the foreign student yeah. problem, yeah. Um, and, and the effective shutdown of, of the entire private uh, um, um, med- uh, medical system to become an adjunct to, um, to, the, to NHS. the NHS mm. um, and of course hospitality um, we'll, I'll leave retail out of it I, because it's difficult to get at those numbers I'm going to come back to retail in a minute yeah. and what the figures that come out from ONS are quarter on quarter change figures growth you know growth or, or shrinkage and so you get this sort of moving figure and the point I wanted to make out of all this is that by the end of June, construction output was at uh, had been only two thirds of normal levels. Only and two thirds, and, and officially, construction was one of those sectors that had been allowed to operate 
throughout, isn't it? I mean, they were, they, yes. you had to be COVID safe, but actually that was one of the sectors that wasn't officially shut but, down. But what had happened, as, as uh, I discussed with you, uh, one of my neighbours is a very senior construction director, one of the, one of the major groups, and because projects that were about to start got cancelled. I mean, one okay. particular project he talked about in the education field, higher education field, just mm-hmm. cancelled. And because, and because of the outflows of money refunds to foreign students. The, and the institution yeah. concerned uh, the month before they cancelled this had re- refunded £63 million to Chinese students for courses wow. that wouldn't happen. So you've got um, construction, ed- health and education, much the same. Um, output by, in the first half, only two thirds of the level. Mm. Hospitality, in the first, this is shocking. In the first six months, 12% of normal output. Wow. So it's wow. lost 88%. And I've worked out that even if hospitality uh, activity um, quadrupled in Q3 and doubled in Q4, the sector would still not be back at half its normal level of activity. Wow. Wow. And so, you can see that, and that is why that is a, that those kind of numbers that are driving the calls to the Chancellor yeah. to try and be a bit more targeted on the ending of the furlough scheme. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that is quite stark, isn't it? And, and, and you said Rishi Sunak himself yesterday was saying it's bad. <laughs> Worse, the worse is yet to come. Were the words mm. that came out of his mouth on the on, on, on the media. Yeah. But um, now, retail sales figures were out. Um, these are the ones that might be right, as opposed to the ONS figures, which come from. The- I know we've been a bit rude about ONS, haven't we, in the past? So I think we're saying that the GDP figure. I mean, and they've acknowledged themselves. It's quite hard in this in this environment mm-hmm. for you know they rely on businesses to fill in surveys and yeah. people are out of their registered office address. So there is you know there's a there is a, some doubt about these these figures, but they're best yeah. we've got to go on, I guess. Aren't they? Anyway, these retail figures figures come from the British Retail Consortium and KPMG, mm-hmm. and re, um, UK retail sales increased by four point three percent in July compared to a year previously. So that's good news. Yeah. But there is a st- another sting in another tale oh, here yeah. because it was beautifully summed up by um, an, a piece on the BBC website which was entitled Retail Sales Rise Despite Fewer High Street Visits. Mm. Online sales in July were 40% of all retail. That's double the pre-pandemic level. Wow. Um, and, wow. and, of course, that plays into the story that you know, retail pundits like me have been on about for years and years and years is, you know, if we had too many shops before, we've got even more yeah. too many shops before because all of that extra 20% um, isn't going back into the high street. Yeah. It's really yeah. not. Um, uh, just um, for... Uh, listeners who've who've got risk in the in the retail sector, as you might expect, the worst affected subsector was fashion, which is still yeah. going down. Yeah, it's still going down. Yeah, but, but but one one strange bit of good news, and it was conf- something I picked up from various comments, and I and I confirmed it with a mate of mine who runs a, um, a small chain of shops, and uh, uh, the rate of returns has plummeted. 
Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because we've always been talking about the the the, the bricks and mortar shops and the places where returns go, aren't they? Typically, yes. people take them back to there because they don't want to have to pay postage or go to the post office. So that's interesting. That's, that's right. And so that's dropped. I mean, and, and he had had the first his first returns free um, month ever. Wow. Had no returns at all. And what he's saying and others are saying is because people have more time to shop and are generally more careful about their shopping they're not you know buying the five dresses with the intention of keeping one they're mm. spending time and finding maybe two dresses and choosing one but anyway the rate of return has dropped like a stone which is very good news yeah in the retail sector because it's it's a hideous drag i, I, I had a purple um a purple phrase about uh, about returning um uh, shoppers but I, w- I won't use that um, okay, too early in the morning for that the other thing, <laughs> can i just ask on the um on those retail sales figures so that that increased by 4.3 percent year on year july to yes. july yeah, yeah would that that wouldn't include returns or that would include returns Diffi- difficult, difficult to say, to say. My, my suspicion is it doesn't include returns Mm, okay. But uh, and there's a yeah. lag always in returns, I guess, isn't there? Yes. So you may find that actually that dampens slightly the August figures, for example, that we might could collect. be. So interesting. Okay, could be. Um, um, other numbers. Well, we've got the furlough scheme. Um, neither you nor I have the faintest idea why the numbers are still going up. And, 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 yeah, and what we don't seem to know is how many people are still on furlough. We know how many people have been furloughed. Um, some uh, commentators uh, out there in social, on social media are suggesting that about half of the furloughed workers are already back. But That's 9.6 million. So the latest is still 9.6 million jobs, which is consistent yeah. with last week. But that was and a rise, and we couldn't. That was what we couldn't understand that that rise, and we think that's cumulative. We think we think um, that, you know, given, given, given that a huge um, uh, the, the two huge contributors to the to using the furlough scheme are retail and hospitality. Mm. You would have thought by now, anybody who's going back is back. Yeah. I mean, there are still, there are still, you know, top end restaurants that aren't opening until September, but the answer is, you know, pretty much everything that's going to open has opened. Although I think there is still that issue with childcare, isn't there? I think while we're still summer holidays, I suspect yeah, yeah. that there are probably still some workers that are being kept on furlough to cover this childcare gap in the hope that by September, children will be back in schools and then they yes. can return to, may, um, may, to employments but yeah mayor culpa um grandfather comment um and plays, yeah, exactly. uh, play, plays, plays parents <laughs> exactly. comment on that one um the uk yeah. employment um figures 730 job losses since lockdown so says hmrc based on the paye numbers and you know our friend um our, our, our um donor of rishi dishes to the to mm. 10.5 million people uh, last in the first week anyway it's said worse is yet to come and i fear the numbers will be bloody because um, and that was what that was a period so that's 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 a comparison from march to the end of yes. july and that's still when the furlough scheme was operating at, at full, full 80 percent so there was no yeah. need for an employer contribution unless people chose to top up so yeah that's, and, and, that's pretty and, shocking isn't it and of course the link to that is um as, as you pointed out to me the uh, or maybe I did to you. I can't remember. The Chartered Institute of Personal Personnel and Development um, actually published a survey this week, yes, saying that right. one in three employers expect to make redundancies between July and September. Mm. Yeah, how many? Who knows? 
Um, Who knows? But I mean, we're still we're still that gar- the Guardian track that we mentioned a few episodes ago is still up and running, so that's still mm. worth checking. And I think one hundred seventy five thousand um, redundancies. I think the last time I checked, which was earlier in the week, have been yeah. confirmed. Again, we're just picking up big employers. There will be, and we know that you know whatever sixty nine percent of of mm. the companies are actually employing uh, it's the SMEs who are not going to be picked up in that figure. So yeah, and, you know, and, and, and linking into that and going back to what I was saying about hospitality. Um, the trade body uh, published a survey again this week, um, this is UK Hospitality, that reported that one in five hospitality businesses considered themselves to be at significant risk of insolvency, and that a further, within the twelve month, next 12 months, yeah. and more than half of, um, not the rest, but more than half of the whole survey, consider it to be at least a risk. Mm. You know, and it, it's... Anyway, so it's shocking as well. I, you know, I know that the the figures for the the eat out to help out scheme are very encouraging, and that's great for August. But what happens? What happens in September and, and beyond? I mean, fascinatingly, and here's here's an anecdote for you. Um, one of the local pubs here in, uh, in in leafy Hertfordshire has dropped out of the Rishi Dishi scheme. Oh, really? They can't they can't cope with the numbers. And they're so busy that they don't need to do it. So they've actually oh, they've actually withdrawn. They've withdrawn. That's interesting. So it was. Do we think that that was a? So it was a kind of kickstart that people needed to go out and feel confident about going out, perhaps. So maybe that would be interesting maybe. to see. Let's, let's hope that that is a good a good sign. It's summer though, and what weather we've had. Yeah. So any, <laughs> you know, any outdoor yes. eating um, establishment, I suppose, is doing is doing really well in in this in this yep. heat. Okay, so that's. I think those are. That's mostly the roundup of those those um, surveys and figures that have come out this week. And I suppose then to come on to the future point that I mentioned earlier, and again, this is something that we've picked up in um, from the OBR reports, Bank of England, and um, most economic commentators really are saying that future growth is going to come from R and D, so um, investment in innovation, essentially, and. We had a, an interesting um, piece that Nick, you found from the Economics Observatory, which is a pretty heavyweight group funded by the Economic and Social Research Council. And it was convened to provide research on the impact of coronavirus in the economy. And they've done a piece, haven't they, looking at what ha- tends to happen after recessions on innovation. Yes. I, I mean, and, and it's it's an interesting piece because um, it, it says the obvious thing, which is in recessions, firms spend less on innovation. Um, It also drew on some very detailed figures about what happened after the 2008-2009 global financial crisis. Uh, And interestingly, um, the percentage of firms uh, from the survey who were innovating, even before this pandemic, had Mm. not recovered to pre-global financial crisis levels. Um, And what they are saying is last time round, innovation suffered because the main effect of the um, of the GFR was to li- to limit the amount of liquidity in the in 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 the commercial lending because the banks didn't have the money to lend didn't because their balance sheets mm. were bombed out. Yeah, what they're saying this time is there's a there's a direct read across because not only are the two recessions the ones with the with the deepest quickest hit. Because mm-hmm. everything stopped in 2008, 2009, it not, not on the same scale as it has this time round. But the two 
they're saying the two recessions, at least initially, look similar from the point of view of this problem. And they're saying last time there was no money because the bank for innovation because the banks couldn't couldn't lend. Mm. This time around, they're saying because businesses have been burning their cash reserves to survive or been taking loans under this myriad of government schemes, and we're mm. going to talk about that before we finish, um, then will they have the money for innovation? And, and the piece is hinting pretty strongly that um, they won't. I mean, again, the piece is, is very, it's, it's a very cerebral piece because they really do think around the issues they're discussing. And they're saying, of course, don't look at it in, in, as, as an overall picture. It'll impact different sectors in different ways, yeah. different parts of the country in different ways. Mm. <coughs> oh, excuse me. So we're back mm. to the old leveling up, leveling up of the um, of the regions type thing. But yeah. um, it, it it is a worry. It is a worry. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's interesting because she 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 sent me this article that I then started to think about um, research that we've looked at. Um, you know, actually, as a as a group of CRAs have looked at in the past from the British Business Bank, um, and they have carried out a survey every year since 2014 looking at SMEs' attitude to external funding. And historically, SMEs and and this is um, companies with turnover under 25 million fewer than 250 employees, typically. There's an asset category, but typically it would be those those yeah. two um, two markers. I've been really reluctant to turn to external sources of, of funding. And, and this is what, you know, with the alternative lending market and, and lots of the, the changes that have been made over the last few years is to try and to encourage SMEs to actually ex- explore external funding. Um, but in the 2019 survey, which is the most recent, but it was the research was undertaken and it was then published before the pandemic, um, only 44% of SMEs had sought external borrowing in the previous three years. That was actually significantly up from 2018 when 36% only of, of companies had, had sought external borrowing. And the reason for that, that um, borrowing was to fund working capital or fixed assets. And 73% of SMEs in the survey said they would rather forego growth than borrow. So it's really kind of risk-averse sector. And I can give you an absolutely personal anecdote oh, yeah, about see. that. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, joined a firm of insolvency practitioners in 1990 that had been going since 1837. Wow. And it had never borrowed money. And I was the 23rd ever partner since 1837. <laughs> Five years later, we merged with another firm who um, were a bit more entrepreneurial than clearly we were. They decided, with my agreement, that we would start to borrow. And within four years, we were the biggest insolvency firm in the country. Wow. In four years of borrowing, um, and not excessive borrowing, but we mm. we borrowed for growth. But for, no, for 150 yeah. odd years, we didn't do it. Because it's this idea of debt. I think there is a, a certain stigma, mm. particularly if you think about, you know, that, that especially at those early stage um, businesses where the, the personal and the business mm. idea of debt is quite intertwined, isn't it? Personal guarantees are required yeah. and everything else. But I think what is interesting, so in that context, then look at the um, at the the take up of the bounce back and the sea bills yes. loans, and there I looked. So to the tenth of August, we've got figures, and we've had one point two million approved applications and out of an SME population of 5.9 million businesses that's about 20% of companies now clearly that 5.9 million businesses and lots of 
dormant and non-trading and kind of fluff, yeah. I suppose, in, yeah. in there. So that's, that's a really huge impact. And anecdotally, I think you and I both kind of been hearing mm-hmm. anecdotally via our networks that quite a lot of that borrowing, particularly on the bounce back side, has been for businesses who don't necessarily need the money now, but want to take it just in case, you know, they prefer to have it now in their um, bank. And so that is that, that, that links back to this piece um, from the um, Economics Observatory. And there they say that having financial slack or, you know, cash at hand when a crisis strikes gives firms a considerable advantage, both in the short and longer term, and especially for SMEs. So it's very difficult to know. I think there is, um, mm. there's a big expectation that a lot of the, the C-bills and the bounce back loans won't be repaid. But equally, if there is a, a kind of significant number of these that are being taken to tide people over, and not actually for being used now for working capital, but for the rainy day, it's potential that could actually drive drive some of that innovation and put these companies in a position yeah. to start innovating. So it's very, I mean, it's very unclear. This is all quite speculative, but I thought it was it was kind of interesting. These two pieces of information, I think, we both have been. Well, you see, I think I think it could mean that um, the pandemic, if it's done nothing else good, and I can't think of anything much else, it will. It may have changed. It may be a sea change in the attitude of business people in this country to borrowing. Yeah, and and providing that borrowing is both um, sensibly lent and sensibly borrowed, there's no mm. problem with that. Yeah, it's, it's, and your experience, I think that's a, that's a really um, nice illustrative mm. um, way of thinking about how that can be transformational. Actually, if you if you can if you have a plan and you can you can yeah. really invest in a plan, then that that really can can spur the economy and, and spur growth. Yeah, yes, it can. Yes, it can. Um, I mean, they'll have one other thing, and I, I just feel like I, I I feel like we're running out of time here. But the um, I suppose it's just worth mentioning our um, Brexit subject. <laughs> And in the survey results, I mean, again, I feel like this is this is out of the window now. But in the survey results, twenty nine percent of businesses were expecting a negative impact. That's this from the British Business Bank, and fifty six percent said it would have no impact. I feel like that's got to be re. And, that, and that's pre pandemic, isn't it? That's pre pandemic, pre pandemic. So I just feel like that that outlook of you know, I think the point there was, oh, you know, maybe the outlook is not so bad for SMEs, given the 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 devastation of a pandemic with certain sectors. You know, I think that, that that actually had something to um, to be talked about. Joe, you know. I strongly suspect that um, uh, a significant percentage of those um, surveyed um, probably don't care anymore. Well, yeah, I mean, that's true. <laughs> There's just one thing at a time. We can only we can only look, can't we, at a month, month, and months. But the, again, that's something we come back to. And clearly, as we as we go into the run up of the of the countdown to to first of January, we'll we'll come back to that. So, I suppose just to bring all this together, I, I feel like this week we're we're kind of saying to our listeners to draw your own conclusions a little bit aren't we that there's there are quite a lot of numbers out there and I think they can be interpreted in in quite a number of different different ways I think on the positive side the June GDP figures are solid and encouraging and we've got to hope that 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 strong growth continues throughout the summer on the negative side the fact that we're still 17 percent down on pre-covid is a bit of a reality check really and and that last five percent I think some commentators have been saying it's all very well having these these high levels of growth but it's that last five percent um, and will we really actually get back to that um in in any time soon um so i think that's that's it from us from until september we're we're having a little bit of a, a break <laughs> from now thank you very much indeed for um for listening thank you so much nick for your your insight it's it's been fascinating as always 
it's my pleasure thank you you may go and have a, go and have a rest thank you everybody and until next time goodbye